3: at home, and uh, hopefully we can take and, and feed off the Colts crowd next week. Big play. Big play. We needed it, and uh, Gronk always comes down with a big plays. Cut caught another few big plays, too. Mike made a big one. Chris made a bunch of big ones. A missed Cam on the touchdown there at the end. What's the
4: oldest player in NFL history to record your first interception?
3: It just, made me, seem, you just made me seem
0: old, but <laughs> <laughs> I, nah, not at all. I tell everybody I'm like fine wine. I just get better with time. I like
3: that. When you have our crowd and everything, and it's been a long time um, uh, playing like that and uh, with that total team effort was I thought outstanding. Obviously it wasn't perfect. We left a lot out there and we gave them one, but uh, I really liked the way we showed up and played.
1: Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live here on Peacock, Sirius XM. 85 aka the ochocinco <laughs> sky sports hello to our friends in the uk and in ireland they don't get to engage in permissible if not encouraged, gluttony this week they don't have thanksgiving we do it's coming up in a couple of days i'm thankful that pete, uh, that, that, that pete is with in my ear that's a save that chris is back Chris is back chris i miss you i miss when you we don't do the show and that is no that is no slight to peter king or Mike Golick, no slight whatsoever. I just miss having Chris for four days a week. We're Three buddies. Days a week. We're buddies. It's you know, I I I'll take what I can get, but I miss you when
4: you're not on the show. Yeah, back. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Very nice of you to say that on Thanksgiving week. But I'm, it's
1: Thanksgiving week. I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm more <laughs> jovial than I usually am. I'm I mean, I miss you
4: the feast but we 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 have a a good relationship and man we've been doing this for a while now I mean we put a lot of shows together so there is a rhythm and timing I think that we both have together no matter how good Peter King or Mike Golick are which I know they are they're phenomenal I know you're not trying to disrespect them at all but yeah it's like uh it's like Brady when he gets Gronk back you know fine you could be Brady I'll be Gronk fine whatever you want to say but he just looks different when he's out there is you know they seem to play a little bit better You
1: know, there's a lot I could say about
4: the Brady-Bronk
1: <laughs> vibe and the comparisons between the two of us, but I won't. I will say this. I am in pre-Thanksgiving food restriction mode in anticipation of
5: the feast to
1: come. Yeah, right. And, and I'm sufficiently hungry that if we can pull up Steve McClendon, the shirt he had on, which is clearly gold bars. It's clearly and unequivocally gold bars, but... In my mind, because I am hungry right now, because I have have been in food restriction, the gold bars on Steve McClendon's shirt look like Twinkies to me. (laughs) And it's making me even hungrier. I know they're gold bars. I told myself while he was talking and I wasn't hearing what he was saying because I was just thinking those are Twinkies and I'm hungry. They are gold bars, even though they look like they would be delicious gold bars.
4: Wait, so you start the 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 famine, right? Is that the famine now? You start that? No, yeah, it's not a famine. Fa- fasting. Fasting, fasting
1: yeah. famine. Famine leads to involuntary fasting. Right, exactly. But fasting <laughs> implies that there is food that you otherwise would eat.
4: Yes, yeah, so you're doing the fasting this far out. That's a usual thing in the Florio household. You kind of calm it down to just wait to the feast of Thanksgiving and like what time are we going to eat Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday or, or the meal itself is it going to be later in the day or are you got kind of an early afternoon family?
1: I'm not a big fan of the two to three PM time frame for the meal. Right. I don't like that because right. I'd like to delay the organized and encouraged gluttony for as long as possible into the day. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm less likely to, Obviously the later you wait to start, I'm less likely to continue the process into the early evening, mid evening, yeah, late evening. Right. Late late evening. So I'd rather wait. But I don't know I don't know why that is. I, I don't know I'm why it way. becomes like a two to three o'clock thing when you have dinner at dinner time every other day of the year. Right. Thanksgiving and Christmas, for whatever reason, you have to have your gigantic meal at at you know Two to three o'clock, but that's what we'll do. I, I don't, I, I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm with I you. Pick though. My battles. I want to push it my back battles. too.
4: Yeah, you don't yeah. have control. You don't have full jurisdiction over I those decisions. Yeah. I don't try. I don't try. Why waste your time? Right. Why waste your but time? But do they know? Do they know? Does like, the, does the family, uh, your wife, whoever's in charge of the meals, do they know? Like to try to push it back till about four or four thirty? Well, they like, do now. They, they do, do now. <laughs> if they're
1: if they're watching or listening today, they know that. The guy whose house it's at would rather do it at five o'clock, but <laughs> again, it doesn't matter because the, the the woman whose house it's at has full control and final say. And I will not fight battles. I cannot win. Feels good to vent a little bit about it. Yeah, good. It, but good. That's why I'm here. I that's see. That's that's why. Well, that's, also, yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited about this year because I'm going to try something and I'm probably going to fail, but. My my mom's mac and cheese, which my sister makes and brings a big giant pan of it every time she visits. Yeah, I'm going to try to make it and I know I'm going to screw it up. I almost said the other word. I ZEPCO I'm going to screw it up. I just, she, I, it's just, it, there's just like, you know, there's, you know, there's certain things that are made a certain way by certain people yeah. that make you always want them. And, and, and it brings back memories and it floods back emotions and I'm going to, tr- I'm going to make it and I am going to screw it up and kill that memory. Yeah, you that are. That is what's going to happen. You, yeah, I'm I'm still agreed, gonna, agreed. I'm determined to try.
4: <laughs> okay. I don't know why somebody else in your family hasn't smoke up about that one, you know, especially the ones that like macaroni and cheese. I mean, man. It's a great danger of you ruining one course of that meal, for sure. I wouldn't want anything to do with it. I'm not a macaroni and cheese guy on Thanksgiving anyways, but, man, I definitely wouldn't want you touching it. I know that. What is
1: wrong with you that you call it macaroni and cheese? Mac and cheese? What are you, Sorry. fancy <laughs> macaroni and cheese?
4: What are we, at the country club today? I don't. I don't eat it. I don't mess with mac and cheese really any day of the year, all right? I don't. That's not what I do. Oh, I suspect there's some nights where you would eat No, it, like I. Don't. it's Thursday not one of my night. favorite. Yes, even when I'm Panama Red, I don't, <laughs> I don't go down that, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, you know, we have more time that we could talk about things like Thanksgiving when the game that was on TV last night wasn't all that great, even though I, wa- I watch all of them start to finish. I don't care how bad they are. Yeah. I, I am thankful for those opportunities where we can actually focus on one game. Instead of the cluster, there were nine of them on. I'm not complaining. No. Job's great.
4: It's all right. First world problem. It's easy to complain about. Trying to
1: about. process nine football games yes. at once. I still can't get used to that 12 years in. It is
4: dizzying yes. to watch nine games at once. A hundred percent. It's the most stressful like part of my whole week. And As much as I love watching the games, I, I want to have a good feel for my Monday morning podcast that I do. Where we go through every game, recap it. I want to sound somewhat intelligent with you during the week you know before I get a chance to maybe go back and rewatch some of those things so I'm with you it's it's a frenzy I mean you got so many things going through your head I'm trying to write notes about the important moments and what kind of you know dictated or changed the game and uh I'm with you that, it's a that's a stressful time not easy I, I love Sunday night Monday night Thursday night football for the reasons you're talking about so it's like pizza. Uh, Monday night football
1: is like pizza. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's still pretty good. And last night, it was still pretty good, still even pretty though it good. was bad. Even though it was the bad. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers win 30-10. to It was 10-10 to at one point. So, you know, it wasn't like a blowout right out of the gates. But you just had this sense of inevitability that the Buccaneers yeah. were going to outclass the Giants. The Buccaneers won their first game in 29 days because of two losses and a bye week. Their last win before last night was... Against the Bears, thirty-eight to three. So they they have been kicking ass at home this year for whatever reason. They struggle on the road for whatever reason in a year where it's the, the op teams are, yeah. are doing better, right? Uh, something about the place where they won their Super Bowl. Maybe every time they're back in that, you know, you win a Super Bowl in a place. Every time you're back there, you think about this. I don't know. Maybe there was, I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Right. We won our Super Bowl here. You know, I mean, the ultimate crowning achievement. Every time we're back here, it's a reminder that this is where we won a Super Bowl. I don't know because we've never done this before. There's never been a team that won a Super Bowl in its own stadium, or even
4: played in a Super Bowl in its own stadium, to have to show up every
1: game the next year. But maybe there is something to that.
4: Yeah, I I, I don't doubt that. I mean, you know, I, I've heard ex players who win a Super Bowl in another stadium talk about when they go back to that stadium in a regular season matchup, you know, a year or two after, they do say, like, hey, I, I love this place. I got good memories. It's good vibes. So there's probably something to that in the in the psychological manner in which you approach the football game. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is either, Mike, but I just, hey, for whatever reason, like you talked about it, yeah, road teams are great this year. Brady seems more comfortable at home. He really does. He just seems a little less jumpy, seems very chill, I don't know if it's just, again, the atmosphere. Yeah, the crowd noise, lack of that on his side of the ball. You know, a lot of times, too, if you got a really good offense with a good coach and a good scheme, you know, you can do a little more at the line of scrimmage to make sure you're in the right play and the right situation all the time. On the road, it might get a little loud. Sometimes you limit some of that stuff. Hey, it's a little loud. Some guys might not get the check. Let's not mess with this all game long. At home, you might have a play – every play might be two calls in the huddle. You know, west right slot, 72-Z bingo, you split Canada with 58 Lexus, and you'll see the check with me and the pointing to the head or whatever that is at the line of scrimmage. So uh, those are at least the two things that jump out to my head or jump in my head, but certainly a a really more impressive team at home this year for sure. And if you could only spit those plays out 18 years ago. I would would have have a lot better. up here.
1: Yeah. Up your butt all the time. Uh, I still love that clip of you trying to get the play out. But, that, that, hey, that's part of getting comfortable to the point where you can do it and you can make yeah, it happen and right. you can make it go. And he, he is comfortable at home. And he avoided the first three-game losing streak that Tom Brady would have had since 2002, which is just amazing that it's been that many years without losing three in a row. It's a testament to him and it's a testament to teams for which he's played. But it, it just – and, look – when they are clicking, when they are on, they are unstoppable. Now, the problem is they and other teams that look great from time to time are periodically not clicking. And that's been the big issue with the Buccaneers this year. But if they ever figure it out, if they get it this weekend when they play the Colts in Indianapolis yeah, uh, or you know, otherwise on the road and their schedule down the stretch is not daunting. If they get hot and they carry that into the postseason like they did last year and they, they have that going every week and that defense that swarms to the ball, no matter what you try to do, they just swarm to the ball, it's it's, it's going to be hard to keep them yeah. out of SoFi Stadium for Super Bowl 56. Yeah,
4: agreed, agreed. I mean, 7-3, and three, this is the time, Yeah, you know, really good teams start to turn it on. There's no doubt we saw that around this time last year. You know this team, uh, like you talked about a little bit already. I I do think they have a self confidence and belief in themselves that when it's really on the line or when they really need to, they'll be able to step on the gas pedal and go. You know, and yeah, we'll see if they can, you know, get hot here. Of course, you know they're one of the most talented teams in football, and they're just starting to get healthy. So I think that when you look at that, the stars are aligning for them to make a move. Let alone, like you talked about, Colts are really one of the last tough games they have on their schedule here. Uh, in the regular season, so there's a lot of positives to look at. You see, the offense looks a little different with Gronk out there. You know, so when he's out there, they're a little different on that side of the ball. Sean Murphy bunting back at you know on the defensive side certainly helps them. The fact that Vita Vea is not going to miss a ton of time is huge. I think we'll get Antonio Brown back at some point. So you know, we haven't seen the best Bucks team necessarily in their last two games before this too, when they lost. Uh, now, let them get healthy, let them get comfortable playing again, and I think you'll see them start flying around the field and a little bit closer to what the team we saw you know, at the end of last year. Having Gronk back is a huge, it's a thing. huge yeah.
1: difference maker mm-hmm. because he's tall, he's got a huge catch radius, the comfort is there between Brady and Gronk, and you know he had four touchdown catches the first two weeks of the season, had that injury week three back for week eight for a brief amount of time in their loss at New Orleans and last night six catches, seventy one yards. And it's like anytime you throw it in his direction, it's going to be a reception. And and you feel it lift the
4: team. You do. When when Gronk does anything, it's just it's palpable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. A hundred percent. I mean you feel it in the whole stadium. Not only the team. You you just know that the stadium loves Gronk. I mean he's just that that big character that everybody wants to see, you know, Catch a ball and run somebody over, and he's got arms and legs going everywhere. But it's effective as hell. And I think you know what you talk about, like as far as changing the team, is, is is very real. It is. He's a huge target down the middle. Brady is comfortable with him. You said it right. It's the catch radius. So when Brady even sees him covered, he doesn't really care. Well, well, if I throw the ball, you know, seven and a half feet high and four feet outside. He'll still get it, you know, and and that that's where I'm trying to throw the ball, and and that's a great weapon that Gronk has. Let alone the other aspect I think that he brings, that you know makes them scary on offense. Is he's such a great run blocker. He's he's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the history of football. Let alone one of the best pass catching, and that to me is why he's the best tight end in the history of football. So you know you saw last night, the Giants front they're pretty big, but. When the Bucks wanted to run the ball and run it, you know, to the tight end side when Gronk was in they're, they're a force. He's like a he's like a low level offensive tackle in the run game, so that becomes more of an issue for defenses who want to play the bend don't break, you know, shell defense like everybody's playing in Kansas City. But you really can't, you know, with 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 the Bucks when they have Gronk in there because they will gash you five and six yard yards at a time and give you a slow death that way. So that's where he's special, and that's where him playing takes teams away from taking away the big play. When he's in there, they run the ball, and like they did on the first drive of the game last night, Mike, too, they were phenomenal with screens and and all these little short pass plays to go, fine, you want to play these shell defenses and take away the big plays, we'll just, just, you know, five yards here, six yards here and continue to crush you. And then this is the other element he brings right here, the play-action pass because when he's in the game, yeah, you have to respect the run and they open up the play action pass game. That's a whole nother, you know, level to their offense as well. The the Buccaneers threw 48 total passes last night and it didn't
1: seem. No, like it. Didn't. I guess, you know, when it's working, you don't say, wow, you're really out of whack. You're throwing it too much when it's working. It's just like, hey, it's working and you just keep going. And, you know, some of it's the controlled passing game that basically operates like a run. The short passes, is the quick play.
4: action. that's it. But right. again.
1: Yeah, It's not, we only talk about offenses being out of balance when they are skewed one way or the other and they don't score points and they don't win. As long as they're scoring points and winning, hey, keep doing what you're doing. And and that was the vibe last night for the Buccaneers. You look at all the, the players, four different players had six catches for the Buccaneers. He spread it around. I'm counting here yeah. uh, 10, 11 different guys caught passes, now yeah. some of so, so uh, the one or two of them may have been from, yeah, uh, late in the game from, uh, Blaine uh, Gabbert right. who made an appearance for the final six minutes but still Brady uh Brady was was uh the Brady that we have grown accustomed to at age 44 and you know every time we start to creep toward this idea that maybe father time is gonna whack him over the head with that 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 big ass hourglass and it's gonna happen during a football season I said that after their most recent loss, there's a chance it's going to happen during a football season, not in March or April or May, that that he's just going to start start falling off the cliff while the games are being played. Well, last night was one of those nights that resets everything and reminds everybody that at 44 in four months or so, he's still getting it done. Yeah,
4: he is. Well, he still can throw the hell out of it, and he's still smart as hell, knows where to go with the ball. So when they're healthy and they can protect him – and he's got a good feel for what the defense is doing yeah he's still borderline unstoppable you know and then of course what we talk about all the time do you have a front four that can get to Tom Brady without blitzing too much or compromising well you know that's what Washington that's what the Saints were able to do the Giants had no chance last night they don't have it a, a, a top tier pass rusher in football they they never got close to him so it didn't matter and you're right Mike I mean. They don't have to have great balance. They're one of those teams that doesn't have to have it. As long as they just keep you worried about it. Just, hey, oh, hey, don't forget, here's Leonard Fournette, eight yards off the edge. All right. You know, do you really want to do this all game? So they just they have the threat of it. And then what I thought, and I mean, I don't know if we can go back again and show it, but the first drive, like you talk you talked about it a little. You know, the screen games, all of that. That that acts as a de facto run game too. You're right. I mean, it still it's, it still holds the same type of water as far as you know. A defense has to come up and do something to defend it. We talk about great offenses all the time, right? Here's another. Here's a screen. You know, they make you defend the whole field. So they said, fine. You know, Giants defense. You want to do this? We'll 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 speed sweeps, reverse screen passes, short passes. Man, bam, there's a throw down the middle. And it was really a brilliant drive uh, altogether uh, that was really well thought out by Byron Lefwich. But yeah, it was impressive. It really was. And, you know, I tweeted during the game, like, that's something like the Chiefs need to do. That, that's what the Chiefs need to learn to do. Where's your wide receiver screen? Where's your speed sweeps and all that? Do more of that, you know, and then you'll open up the field for Mahomes. I didn't mean to get off topic, but it just was in the forefront of my brain there.
1: No, and, and it, look, it, it, it makes a ton of sense because patience can work. If yes. you can execute it, if you're willing to execute it, that's what the whole West Coast offense is premised upon. Patient 100%. execution of offense with precision and timing and chunks of yardage. And you know what you do? You end up gassing the defense you if do. you take it slow. Right. And you wear them out. By the time you get to the fourth quarter, if the game is even still close, and this clearly wasn't, all the more advantage for the offense to try tries to put the game away because right. they got nothing left. If you do a three-play drive, defense is, even though they're not playing very well, they're still fresh. You know they're, yeah, still they're fresh. fresh,
4: right, uh, right. Yeah, it gets tiring what? running around, run game. Oh, wait, fake a run, play action. Whoa, fake a run, screen out here. They're running all over the place, all over the field. Uh, I think it's a very good point, and I think it's very real for sure.
1: We had a tin man sighting last night. I'm going to use that term now. Anytime an aging, not so mobile quarterback tries to run the football, Tom Brady, who who looks like he's running in ski boots, like mm. his skis are going down the hill and he's chasing them in his ski boots. He, you know, he he does his reads and nothing's there, and here he goes, ski boots, and and then he goes in, baby. And you know what? I don't know if ESPN didn't mention this last I night. I know they did partnership with him for the Vanity Project. He goes in, Ty Cobb cleats up. No comment about it. I'm telling you, I noticed it right away. It's I like, did hey too. man, that's not that's not cool. Is, no, am I wrong? No.
4: That's not cool. No, I'm with you. I saw it too, and I thought, ooh, that's a little bit like, yeah, you know, it is not a penalty, I don't think. Ty but, Cobb
1: spikes up. But spikes Ty up
4: really aggressive slide at a guy's ankles. That's what it was. He, he basically was like, you know, yeah, you want to come in here and get close, you might blow your knee out here, hitting my legs like that. So I, I was with you there, and that that that's not – I mean, I, I would – I don't know. Is there a written rule on that or anything like that? I know he's kind of got a little I'd bit of a history there's... of doing it, anyways. But... Well,
1: he put he put his he put a spike in Ed Reed's crotch. Once yeah, I remember a time. that. He got fined right. ten thousand dollars for it. The right. only time I can ever recall a quarterback being fined for his behavior during a slide. But that last night, they were celebrating that, that. And again and again. I I I serenity now, serenity now. I'm not here to bash ESPN, but when you are in bed with this guy for the 10-part Vanity Project, and I'm sorry, that's what it is. Anytime you produce your own documentary, it's an infomercial, folks. And I've got no interest in watching it for that reason only. That And, and the way they say, Tom Brady is sick of other people telling his story. He's going to tell it himself. Like, who in the hell has screwed up Tom Brady's right. story? We've all like, got it from he's not him. Some, I mean, everybody, it's hero worship and myth-making. Nobody is screwing up Tom Brady's Tom Brady's story. This is the ultimate. I am going to make this about me. I'm going to tell my story the way I want to. And it is a vanity project. And ESPN is all in with it because they've pushed it to their subscription service. And that's fine as we do this show on the NBC subscription service. But when you do something during the game that merits at least a mention just a mention. Just tell the casual viewer, hey, you know what he did there? Hey, Brian, what do you think about that? Hey, Lewis, you're a defensive back. What do you think about a guy going in cleats up? Now, I don't know whether or not the Mannings mentioned it. I, I watched the Manning cast on Tuesday morning and treat it like the podcast that it really is with a football game in the background. But I, I just think, I think that you're doing a disservice if you don't mention that the guy went in hot spikes up. Yeah,
4: yeah, I hear you. Well, you know... I
1: and it's okay to say it, folks. Greatest player of all time. It's okay to say he he did something that was a little dirty. Yeah. I think it was a
4: little dirty. Yeah, I hear you. I think it was borderline dirty too. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, but I I don't know what there is to do about it. Maybe he'll learn from it. I hope he doesn't do it anymore. You're right because I, I don't want to see anything if Nobody's get gonna hurt. say
1: anything about it. He didn't care. No, he does what it, no. I do what I want. I'm Tom Brady. I do what I want.
4: No, I I hear you there. There there's definitely something I didn't like about it either. Um, but you know I think the play itself like. It it, it it kind of spoke a little bit, you know, it, it volumes about the game in general. You know, one, hey, I mean, it's the, the fact that, yeah, he runs, he gets so excited. I mean, he gets more excited when he gets a first down running than he does anything. He didn't get that excited when he threw a 600 career touchdown pass, but also just spoke to the bigger problems of the game in general and the bigger problems with the Giants in general. You know, the Giants have a, have a team that's built in the front seven that's just not – the modern day NFL—it's out of touch. I mean, they got a linebacker there, and Reggie Raglan, who's a huge guy, who's like a you know third and one middle linebacker, and then they got a bunch of defensive tackles who play the defensive line. They got no real pass rusher other than their rookie Aziz Ojari. I mean, that's it. And you know, they couldn't get close to Brady last night. You know, we saw we saw Brady really have his way throughout, no matter what it was. You know, one. We talk about it. You can't rush him with four and get in his face that way. You're in big trouble. The Giants couldn't get close. They tried to play these, you know, safe coverages. All right, that's fine. But, you know, Riddick and Brian Greasy made the right point during the game. I mean, it was so vanilla. It was just like, hey, here we are. We're in cover two. Hey, we're in cover three. Hey, it's cover four. There was no disguises to go along with it either. And to me, that's when it's a double whammy. I mean, if you're going to get Brady, okay, a four-man rush, and you're not going to get close to him, and you're just going to play vanilla defenses and let him just line up and go. Oh, okay, let's cover three on this play. Uh, I mean, you got no chance. You don't, and that's where you know you used the word correctly to start the show. They were outclassed. The Giants are outclassed. You know, of course they're not as good, but I think you could really see some of the the deficiencies between their team and the Bucks team that really stood out to where you just go. Yeah, there's a few positions on the Giants that you just go, I don't know what's going on. It's just the modern-day NFL. You can't have a middle linebacker that runs 4-9 when the quarterback's in shotgun. That's not going to work. You know, you can't have three defensive tackles who are all 315 pounds and above and no real legit pass rusher to, to get after Brady or do anything confusing off, it, you know, off of it to, to, to make him uncomfortable. And, and that's really where they lost control of the game completely.
1: Before we move on from Tom Brady's impersonation of Ty Cobb, let's hear from Brady about his run for a first down, 10-man style.
4: How much did you enjoy that 10-yard run? Look looked pretty
3: nifty on us. 11-yard run. <laughs> <laughs> they don't happen very often, so I do remember how far they go. So that was pretty good. Not only do you get the first down, but you high-step out of a tackle. When's yeah. the last time you did that? It's been forever. Probably never. Probably never. That's not my uh, it's not what I do, but good to have it come up. So good. Hopefully I could do that again next week, too.
1: According to the official game book, it was 10 yards. So sorry, Tommy. And, you know, I I don't think there was anybody in that room that was inclined to ask him about going in spikes hot. I don't think that was going to happen in that moment. No, I don't no think definitely was gonna not. Happen. Not that room. No offense. No offense no. to anyone who was in that room, but I have a feeling that room, no one was gonna ask him about going in spikes hot. Yeah, no, I,
4: I don't think so. Not not right now. Not you know, he's Brady, he's the Isn't king Isn't there of... a
1: way you can bring it up though? Can't you say, hey Tom, man, it looks like you went in there a little you went in there a little hot.
4: Well, they need to have, have like You sharpen those studs before the play? Well, like it needs to be one of the Giants beat writers or somebody like that who doesn't have to deal with them on a daily basis. They're the one that's gonna gotta ask them there. I mean, certainly. Um,
1: oh, oh, oh and and trust trust, trust yeah. me. I yeah, teams they they you get on the list you got yeah, a problem. And that's you your do. only job. That's the thing. I'm not being critical. That's all you do. You cover one team in one market. And if you piss off the people that you cover, your life gets very very difficult and your ability to do your job becomes dramatically impeded. And I'm not saying it's right, but it's reality.
4: No, it is. You got to be careful. You know, the, the, you're right. Those are people that are around the team all the time. They're at practice. They want they want to get access to the people they want access to. So you're not going to do that. You're right. If you're pissing off the whole organization, sorry, London, or a bunch of other people within it, you know, yeah, you you can mess up your relationship with the PR, the media staff. You, you can mess up your relationship with the individual player. When the media staff comes to him and goes, hey, this guy wants to interview you, you can not uh, he's a jerk. I, you know, I'd rather not. Do I have to? Oh, I don't. Okay, fine. No, I'm not going to talk Been to him. There. So done that. Yeah, we well in there. We know done that. We know.
1: And, and and you mentioned the Giants beat writers. They they weren't worried about Tommy going in with spikes hot because they're getting ready to go in with words hot over their team as we pivot to the pathetic franchise that dishonored those awesome. Oh, Little Sims era hurts me. uniforms. Don't wear those uniforms when you know you're going to get your ass kicked. Just don't, because <laughs> they knew, they knew. Don't, don't wear them on a night like that. Don't wear them to Tampa Bay against the defending champs. Wear them against, I don't know, somebody that you know you're going to beat. Although with this Giants team, you don't know that. There's never a night, there's never a night where you're, you're feeling like Tampa Bay felt last night going into that game.
4: No, you don't. You know, and and you know, I do love those uniforms. I wish that that that's of course one team, and yeah, of course I'm biased that I want to see the. The two-helmet rule, because I'd like to see the real dark blue that the Giants used to have with the Giants on it. But uh, it is a great look. But, yeah, I mean, underwhelming performance in, in every way, everybody. I mean, there, there wasn't one area to be happy about. Yeah, as I'm a Giants fan, I was sitting there yelling at the TV screen last night with my little boy. We root for them. We do. But, I mean, what, what you know, again, we saw Brady and company have their way the whole night other than a drop screen pass. That was a pick-six. You know uh, defensive line couldn't get pressure nobody could really cover man-to-man or do anything like that to challenge the bucks receivers you know can't run the ball at offense can't protect daniel jones and then daniel jones doesn't look that good on top of that yeah i mean i don't know that's not the trifecta that's the 6 facta there i guess I, I mean just crapville and this i mean i have no explanation for this That was the end of the game right there. You know, if they had any chance, you go, okay, this is the drive. They got to mount something, and I really don't know what Daniel Jones was doing or who he was trying to throw that ball to, but that was night-night after that.
1: And and I don't know who to blame when it's that bad, when it's so ineffective, when nothing that they do works. And at some point, you have to give credit to the defense they're playing. Yeah, No one's going to run the ball effectively against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even with Vita Vea missing the game. It's hard. They're going to clamp down on it. But they could get nothing going in the pass game. But the offensive line is so bad. I don't know how much of it to blame on Daniel Jones. Like it's I know. chicken in the egg right. for me because right. Jones looks horrible, but he looks horrible because he didn't have a chance to do anything. Mm-hmm. But but you know, good quarterbacks find a way even when the blocking isn't great to at least make one play. Yeah, Just one play. Right. At some point during the night, and and it, it there was nothing. From Daniel Jones.
4: No, no, I I think that was the disappointment. You're right. I mean, I didn't expect them to put on an offensive show and just be surgical against the Buccaneers defense. You're right, especially a defense that's very angry about the way they probably played the last two weeks and getting healthy. Uh, But, yeah, you know, we've seen in other games where he's been pressured and had the, 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 the stack, you know, had the cards stacked against them to a degree, and he makes a few plays where you go, whoa, wow, we didn't see that last night. We didn't. You know, he was a little off of his game. He didn't throw the ball, I think, as good as he's capable of throwing. But, yeah, I mean, to me, again, uh, there's just issues with the roster, the team. I don't know any other way to say it. That's what bothers me as a Giant fan. There's just, it's hard to win against really quality football teams when you know you're missing some really important things that make teams a quality team in the 2021 NFL. And that's, to me, the biggest thing you look at with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, you're going to play the Bucks with no running game, and uh, we have to get in the shotgun, and you know we're going to throw the ball against that defense. You know, that's just it's a recipe for disaster, 100%. Let alone some of the issues I can rattle off on the defensive side of the ball. I already rattled off a few of them. But, yeah, very frustrating, especially to Mike when you know there's weapons that can do some things on the offensive side of the ball if they can just you know have a little bit of a uh an average offensive line play you know we know saquon can do some special things Kadarius Tony we saw he, he's special athlete specimen Slayton can run Galladay's going through some struggles but you could still see he's big and talented and there's there's something there and uh as a giant fan that's where I really get heated and frustrated about watching them right now
1: Kadarius Tony was targeted 12 times, seven catches for 40 yards. You know, every time he gets the ball, he tries that, that back step, surrender ground. Yeah, a little like too he's much. he's still in college and he's going to be able to run around guys. At some point, somebody's going to say to him, hey, Kadarius, it's not like it was in college. Yeah, just These guys the are fast down. enough to get to you. Just go. Yeah. Don't don't try don't try to backpedal. Don't give up yardage. There was a third down, as Pete points out, where it cost them the first down because yes. he gives up that yardage. This isn't the schoolyard anymore, where you are just faster than everyone around and you can do that. It's not going to work at the NFL level. And I'm no. serious. Somebody's got to sit him down and tell him that 100%. it's not going to work. Get the ball and go. Get the ball and go. We drafted you to get the ball and go. That's right. Not dance around because they are going to close on you and put you on the ground. Uh, You mentioned Galladay. Two targets, one catch. It came fairly early. I kept waiting for the sideline video of another eruption. Remember, we saw it. I think it was the Thursday night game against Washington. Washington, right. And I know he's been injured, and maybe he's just happy to be healthy and able to play, but it's like Jones either wasn't looking at him, Or just never had the chance to get to him in the progression?
4: No, I mean, it it just never seemed like you're right. The ball went that way. It didn't. You know, there was one time I think he caught a, what, a slant route early on in the game or a short post route. Another time he went to him and the guy knocked it down, right? Yeah, it was just a pass interference play. Uh, Pete is in my ear telling me, yeah. So, hey, it's it's another thing with the team. It's just you look at it again and just go, there's, you know, a guy that's been paid a lot of money and, you know, hasn't been able to be out there and, and really kind of indoctrinate himself into the offense. You know, misses this block against Kadarius Tony. Brian Greasy made a, I mean, made a good point about. I mean, he gets this block against with that guy like you just talked about, Kadarius Co- Tony. He could do special things. There was space there. You know, it was just a crap effort by the Giants. And um,
1: in in his in his defense, he was studying Teddy Bridgewater tackling film. Uh, You're the funny. day that he prepared for that I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. It's just like, at least he, at least he touched him. At least he touched him. Yes. He didn't try to. He didn't try to do the head fake. The head fake. Block. Like I wanted yeah. to, but I won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that anyone who's out there on that field has a tremendous amount of courage, just being out there. But y- you do expect on a play where your assignment surely is. We talk about how the Xs and Os, you know, the assignment surely is that O neutralizes X and and O O didn't do much neutralization of X on that play.
4: No, no, definitely not. I mean, a lot of things on the Giants chalkboard didn't do anything to neutralize other guys on the field last night. You know, and, and that's 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 the annoying thing. You know, there there's there's some things to like about the football team, but You know, I think as we've discussed here, you just go through it and go, okay, offensive line issues, you know, guys on there, bad free agents, bad draft picks that haven't worked that well. You know, Galladay, we'll see where that goes. We're paying him like he's a superstar. Yeah, I'm saying we. Yeah, I'm a Giants fan. Sorry. Sorry. You know, those paychecks when I grew up that gave me that silver spoon, they came from the Giants, so I'm allowed to say we. (laughs) All right? So that. All right? You know, you got that aspect. You know, you got – Hey, James Bradbury, who they're paying a ton of money, he's really good. Is he like a shutdown island corner? No, you saw that last night. He had issues with Mike Evans. I mean, he did. Period. You know, you got those issues. You got lack of like players that fit the modern day scheme right now to be versatile and change your attack to a degree. You know, there's just there's so many problems in in my opinion with the roster, you know, we, we, yeah, we can get into coaching and I know it's not perfect, but I just look at it and go, it's hard to coach a team where you got to put little band-aids to worry about everything all the time and then try to coach around it. And that's where I get, you know, really bothered by the giants, uh, right now, as Joe Jed said, several weeks back, the fish stinks from the head down. As I noted
1: last night after the game, or at least during the game, the fish stunk from the head all the way to the butt. To the extent that a fish has a butt, ponder whether or not fish have butts as we hear from Joe Judge talking about the very butt-like performance last night by the Giants.
3: It's not your job to be patient. It's not the fans' job to be patient. It's our job to go out there, all right, and give them something to cheer about. So let's just be clear about that right now. Fans buy tickets. Whatever they want to say in the stands, they've bought that right to do that. Fans support us. Fans watch us at home, okay? They root for us. They pull for us. We appreciate that. It's our job to give them something to be proud of. It's not their job to, you know, have blind faith in us. We've got to go out there, and we have to work and put put ourselves in a position that the fan base has something to cheer for, okay? So, look, I take this very personally, all right? I'm, I'm a man of my word. When I look in the camera and I tell people of New York, New Jersey, you know, the fan base area, when I tell them, we're going to give you something to be proud of, I'm not asking you to be patient. That's not your job. I'm telling you we're gonna put something on the field you can be proud of. Okay, that's on my name. Okay, you understand that? That's on my name. All right. I'm the leader of this team. I'm in charge of this team. That's on me. I don't point fingers. I don't make excuses. All right. We're gonna get this right.
1: Yeah, except for when the headsets don't work, but that's a different issue altogether. That's Pete that's Pete the Giants fan. Oh, he's mad. He's he's more mad than me. He's bitter as hell. Now now, look, I think that the the average Giants fan would listen to that and say, "Thank you very much for your candor. Uh, we're good, though. We don't need you to try to fix it. We're ready to move on to somebody else." I think that's what the average Giants fan would say right now. And what, that, that, you know, whether it's Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, John Mara, wherever the stink from the fish is primarily emanating. And I got an email last night from Giants fan Bob. Marish should fire everyone in the front office, the entire coaching staff, release every player, and then sell the team. That would—that's—that's that's the general attitude right now from a Giants fan. But I, I'm look. What else is Joe Judge going to say? But at the same time, how patient are Giants fans willing to be with this iteration of front office and coaching staff? I have a feeling they're running out.
4: No, they are. I mean, you know, I mean, listen, Pete. Yeah, he's sitting here producing the show. He's he's done with it. You know, I'd like to talk him off the edge. I do. You know, first off, like, I could really uh, – yeah, I know Joe Judge. I was with him in New England. You know, I mean, he this is – it is personal to him. This is like a lifelong dream for him. He's put his life and soul into this. This is a – you know, this is a, a dream job for him. You know, grew up in the Philadelphia area to be in the NFC East, the New York Giants. He has such respect for the game, the tradition of the NFL. Like – I, I know this is killing him 100%. So that's I want to back him up with a little bit of what he's saying right there. And he's not a guy that's going to take shortcuts. He's a guy that I witnessed when I was in New England because I was like a fellow bitch boy with him as far as like we Hello. had to do all the dirty work. He he was one of the first guys in the building every day, if not the first in the building. I mean, we're talking like 4.30 a.m. He's there. So He's willing to do it, and Mike. I mean, yeah, I know I'm biased here because I know him, but you know, I, I've known other coaches, and I don't stick up to them the way I stick up for Joe Judge. I that's where well, I need
1: somebody. To, Kyle doesn't need you to stick up for him for the most part because it's well. To, there's other ones too. Should he too, have not taken but, that job? Yeah. Should he have? Should he have? Should he have realized maybe this isn't the right time, well, the right place, the right job for me? Given given how. I, you know, given where the Dave Gettleman's a GM and the current status yeah, of the roster, yeah. maybe I should wait.
4: Right. I'm, yeah, you'd like to say that. But you know, Mike, you know how that game goes. You wait, and all of a sudden you don't get a freaking job for five years or something. It's hard. You just can't turn these type of jobs down. There's only 32 it's like the paycheck. He had got one. He well, had got
1: one with Bill pushing him the way he pushed him for that job. He well, had gotten one. Bill
4: Bill did, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, we know Bill did push him for that job. There's no doubt. Now, Bill pushed him for that job for some Bill reasons, I think. But also, I think Bill. What do you mean? Well, what do you mean? Well, I what think. What do you mean? I'm I, confused. Well, I think Bill wanted to make sure that he didn't lose Josh McDaniels and he finagled it that Joe Judge got the job. I think that's what he was. You know, I, that, that to me was one of the things. We've talked about that, you know, back at the time. You know, kind of messed up the situation to where Carolina, you know, gave Matt Rule the job. And then he, it sounds like, worked his magic to make sure Joe Judge got the job with the Giants. That's kind of how it went down, you talk to people in the NFL. So, yeah, there was part of that. But as Joe Judge, from where he sits, you know, yes, it's hard to not uh, say, oh, I'll wait. My time will come somewhere else. A lot of people didn't want the Giants' job because of one reason. Yeah, they were scared. Of the team, the way it was built, and Dave Gettleman, period. There's no other way to say it. you know. And I don't mean to like disrespect Dave Gettleman. I don't. I got a lot of respect for what he's done in his career. But there is major, major issues with the team that directly reflect him, whether it's trades, free agent contracts, whatever. And that's where I'll defend Joe Judge. You're not going to win any games in the NFL when your offensive line is the lesser unit on the field every game. Every game. And then your defensive line, yes, has some big people, but has nobody that can really make a play other than Leonard Williams. And then you get into the linebacker. Most modern fans don't know any of the linebackers on the Giants. You know, the secondary is a bunch of patchwork there as well. So there's like... There's issues across the board there, and that's where I'm going to defend Joe Judge. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I seem like a homer, but I, I don't. I don't look at Joe Judge and have the same feeling I had when I looked at Pat Shermer, or <coughs> excuse me, Ben McAdoo. That was one where I went through a year, 14 months, and I went, they got to go. They're they're in over their heads. See you later. Bye bye. We got to get somebody else in here. I don't get that feeling with Joe Judge, and maybe that's my personal bias again. I know, and people are certainly allowed to accuse me of that. But you know, you've heard me say a lot during the years, like, last year wasn't that bad. They fought and became respectable, you know, and a lot of games that I watch, I sit there and go, I think the approach to the game is the right way. Now, whether they can, like, actually pull it off, yeah, more times than not, they can't because... They have to lose the battle up front in just about every game, and that affects, you know, everything. So, um, yeah, I am going to defend him right now. I am. I don't think the Giant fans should be so mad at him. I think there's other areas to be mad at, you know, obviously.
1: And and let's not forget that the big decisions are being made from the top of the organization, the co-owners of the team, John Mara and Steve Tisch. Tisch really isn't involved in the operation of the franchise. John Mara is the guy who's calling the shots. He's the guy who I assume signed off on Ben McAdoo. He signed off on Pat Shermer. He signed off on Dave Gettleman. You know, and and at some point, the people who are making the big hires are the problem. But you can't fire the person who's ultimately responsible for all the big hires. It's what Jed York said five or six years ago. I'm the CEO. You can't dismiss the CEO. And and that's that's what a fan base is stuck with because no no amount of clamoring no what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Boycott the team? They're going to remove from their DNA the fact that they grew up watching Giants games with their their grandpa, their dad, their mom, their grandma, their aunt, their uncle, whoever, that family bond that that causes that that blood to turn blue? You can't expect fans to do it. It's the ultimate grift if you're an owner that either doesn't know how to get out of the weeds which is possible or doesn't care which happens where and and they've got hey they've won two super bowls over the past 15 years that's two more than plenty of teams yeah, still that's right. you know yeah. ha, don't have and I, I i it's but right now it's not good it's I, don't, not. I don't i don't know, know that the the memories of a super bowl win from 10 years ago are helping giants fans through this period because it's just like the jets it's not working it's perpetually not working, and now you've got this this dysfunction where do we fire the GM and know. keep the coach and saddle the new GM with a coach that, that the new GM may not want, and then we have to do that all over again. Yeah, and Just like in, in New York, Joe Douglas needs to go. Well, what's a new GM going to do with Robert Sala then? Well, then you get a new coach and then a new GM and then a new coach, and it's lather, rinse, repeat, and and both teams in New York, seem to be caught in that same dysfunction, and I think, hey, equal time here. I think ownership is the problem for both of the franchise. I, I, but no I, I one get ever, t- no, they never get criticized. They hide behind yeah. the curtain. Right. We don't make football decisions, even though they make the most important decisions that end up being the root of the failure of the team.
4: Yeah, uh, well, you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, you, I can't. You didn't make a point there that I can really argue. I, I can't argue anything what you said. I really can't. What I can tell you is. Knowing the Mara family since a little kid, nobody's more hurt about the team than the Maras. Like they're it, it's this is their love, the passion, the whole family. I mean, it, it really is. So I'm sure they're distraught. And you know, in my in my perfect world, I'd like to see the Giants when the year's over. Get a GM from the New, England co- the New England tree in some capacity who's going to understand what Joe Judge and the coaching staff are all about, how they want to build the team. You tell that GM, you know, yes, hey, you're here. You know, we'd like to make it work with Joe Judge. You guys can be on the same New England cohesive type of page. And if it doesn't work after a year or two, then we'll get rid of Joe Judge and you're here and you'll be able to hire the coach you want. But that, to me, is the route I'd like to see them go to because I, I, I don't look at it as a Joe Judge problem right now, and I know maybe I'm in the minority there. I don't. but I've been around football a long time, and I think you know me well enough too, that you know I, I wouldn't be so passionate if I didn't really believe it. I, again, I know there's some personal bias there, but I, I, but, but I think you've seen me you know with other people I know, not stick my neck out quite the way I'm sticking it out right now for Joe Judge.
1: The only problem with that approach, though, is if you are hiring someone to be the GM who doesn't have Joe Judge on that person's private list of names that they keep in their right front pocket yeah. of coaches I will consider hiring when I become a GM, it's it's just That's, yes. the mind's already made up. Yes. It's already made up. It's just a matter of time before Judge is out. That's you why say I say right it's got to be from get the New job. England.
4: Right, right.
1: But it's got to be somebody who understands and trusts and knows
4: it right I, yeah, the, yeah.
1: The, he's on my list yes the joe judge is on Agreed. my list of guys i would hire to be a coach agree then, then then it works out Then but it works maybe you're not gonna, right you're not going to get the truth when you're dangling a gm job you're not going to get the truth just like you're not going to get the truth from a coach about the quarterback yeah he's my guy oh yeah i'll make it work oh yeah and then and then uh, josh mcdaniels dumps jay cutler uh right out the door he's his first order of business when he gets the job yeah. in denver i was Without there holding him yeah. for it it's yeah i mean it's you know, you, 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 do, you do what you have to do, and you say what you have to say to get the job, and then you worry about the details later. All right, one detail we have to worry about is time. We're going to take a break. When we return, a minor detail from Sunday, Baker Mayfield stiffed the media. He showed up to talk to reporters a day after not talking to reporters. We'll let you hear some of what he had to say when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: What if millions of Black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Trang Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. 3rd and 10 Cleveland,
2: Mayfield's got it, wants to throw, does, almost picked off, but it is, off a deflection, it's intercepted by A.J. Parker at the 34-yard line. Baker, what did you make of, of some of the booing there in the second half from the fans?
5: Those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care.
1: Great attitude, Baker. Well done. I, look, He's got a feistiness that serves him well. There are certain occasions where that feistiness doesn't serve him well. They're entitled to boo if you're not playing well. And if you're going to act like it's your birthright to play, no matter how many injuries you have, you're expected to play at a sufficient level. And if you can't perform at that level because of your injuries, then let Case Keenum play. Don't be selfish and hog the ball when you're not able to perform with the ball the way that you need to. And if you get criticized for performing at a lower level because you're injured, You you, got to be an adult about it. You you got you got to be mature about it. And, you know, they had some other comments that were, you know, a little pissy. Apologies to anyone who may be offended by the word pissy. Sorry, I just said pissy twice. Make it three times. But uh, I I, I just I, I don't I don't I just you just got to, if you act like the the problem is if you act like it bothers you. And if you say something like that, you know what you're going to do. You're inviting more of it. Yeah. And there would be those fans who won't be quiet when we're trying to operate, you know, well, you ever, what about this? I mean, well, you know, if you're the leader, get a, get him, do that and get him to shut up. But he's not, he's not going to get anybody to go any easier on him the way he reacted to the situation. In my opinion, Chris,
4: I I, I agreed, you know, I agreed. And in fact, yeah, I think it'll have the opposite effect. You know, it, it does. It's, it, it, I, I, love his passion and his feistiness too. That is what I do love about Baker Mayfield. But when you, when you say things like that, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, don't know for lack of a better way to say it, bratty to a degree. I don't know. What I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to call him a brat, but that, that comment is, no, no, no. They're, they're not the same people that won't be quiet when you have the ball in the offensive. These are people that are booing you because you're playing like crap. That's the p- bottom line. And that's a quote from his own mouth. Yeah, he didn't play well. You know, so just own it and go on. You got the win. We know you're beat up, you know, and that's where you know, again, there's like things or time where, where he's asked questions and I love Baker Mayfield and I respect the way he approaches it. But yes, for not to go to the the podium on Sunday after a bad game, I don't love that look. I don't, you know. You you don't have to go there and like be there for ten minutes. We saw Tom Brady two weeks ago against Washington, not have a good game. He made it a quick press conference. He was bothered. Boom, bam, he's out. He answered a few questions. That was it. Make it quick. Yeah, make it, make quick. it quick. Right. That's what he did. But you know, then to be you know like pissy back to the fans because they booed you on a rainy, crappy day against the crappy Detroit Lions because. You couldn't put the team away because of, wait for it, you, yeah, you, not only the two interceptions that were very bad. I mean, a handful of throws where guys were wide open, and he missed them too. It wasn't so, well, what do you want? Oh, wait, they're paying $100 to sit in the stands. It's 38 degrees, and it's pouring rain, and you're playing the Lions, and you're playing like crap. What did you want them to do? Come on. That's where I just want to be like Baker. Come on, you're better than that. And you're, you're, you got so many things to respect and like. I don't, I don't like that.
1: Before we hear a little more from him, I want to say one more thing because I don't want to go calling coward here and make Baker Mayfield hate a cottage industry where I keep pressing that button because it works. Because look, I just say what I believe. And you said the word bratty. I think the more appropriate word is punk. That's how he comes off sometimes. Sure. Not all the time. That's a better. But way. sometimes he comes off as a punk. Better the way. The problem say it. is when you come off as a punk to the paying customers, you jeopardize your ability to get the contract that you think you deserve from the team. Because if there's a gap between what Baker Mayfield thinks he's worth and what he's actually worth, if the fans love him, he's more likely to get what he thinks he's worth. 100%. This is part of the psychology of the sport. It's not always about X's and O's. It's about keeping the fans happy. And if the fans love Baker Mayfield, they are going to do what they have to do to keep Baker Mayfield, advantage Baker Mayfield. And so be careful who you're directing the punk attitude toward. Direct it to us, you're fine. Direct it to the fans, you got a problem. Now, speaking of punk attitudes, here's a little more from Baker Mayfield yesterday about why he didn't talk to the media on Sunday.
5: Uh, yeah, I was frustrated, uh, among other things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I'm not, I've never dodged any questions or hid away from that, so um, it's not about that. Just frustrated, removed emotions and uh, all that from it. Just decided it was best to, to wait.
1: I think that's what surprised us all, Baker, is that you pride yourself on
2: on being that guy and being accountable and stepping forward. and
5: Not one part of that's not being accountable. I'd be the first to tell you I played like shit, so... It's, it's not about accountable and i don't owe you guys any of that i owe that to my teammates and i talk to them so that's what matters
3: you know you talk so much about winning and i know how important that is to you is it a mixed message at all that you walk straight off without celebrating on the field after the game um
5: i mean to, to our guys no to you guys that uh, maybe it depends on how you want to take it you're going to write your stories regardless i mean my guys know that all i care about is winning but i'm going to be frustrated if if i do stuff to Um, make it harder on us and and I did yesterday and that's just flat out where it was but I'm never going to take winning for granted that's something that's very hard to do in this league Um, and it's hadn't been a a very common thing around here for a long time so uh, I'm just frustrated with how I played and that's that's how I've always been
1: since I'm accustomed to apologizing for Chris I'll apologize on behalf of Baker Mayfield for the s-bomb that slipped past the goalie there in that answer but you know, that's where the punk attitude comes in. His attitude toward the media is, I don't know you people a damn thing. I don't have to talk to you. I'm accountable. Well, oh, but being accountable to you isn't the same. And he says, I've never dodged any questions. He dodged the whole press conference. He dodged all of the questions on Sunday by not showing up. And I think at some level, Chris, he kind of knew that, you know, when you balance it out, not showing up probably a little bit better than what he would have said if he would have showed up. So maybe he's self-aware of his punk-ass nature at this point, that he would have come in there and said some stuff that would have gotten people even more upset with him, potentially. Maybe things about fans in the heat of the moment that would have gotten them more upset with him. Maybe that's what it was about, because I really want to go off here on these people who were booing me, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to talk at all. I'm just going to serenity now and wait till tomorrow. But regardless, you, you can see it creep through. His attitude is he doesn't owe the media anything and he doesn't realize the media is the liaison to the fans this is all coming back to his fragile and tenuous relationship with fans
4: and that's what's going to get him run out of cleveland yeah, agreed you know yeah i mean i understand what he's trying to say I'm, I'm only accountable to the guys on the team but it's no no you're not you're you're not you're you're accountable to more than that sorry you you are you know as in you're the first pick of the draft as in you're the face of the organization which is Cleveland Browns are the number one sports team in Cleveland. So you're kind of the face of, yes, the Cleveland sports. I mean, yes, you you do have that. And when you do, you know, five commercials a year from the Cleveland Browns stadium, then, yeah, that's the mantle you're taking to a degree. So, I mean, I know what he's trying to say. He wants to be accountable to the locker room, but no. Being accountable to the fans, controlling your emotions, that's part of being a franchise quarterback. I mean, it is. Uh, uh, You know, there's there's, there's no other way to say that. That's what I think, you know, I think, like, football people, when they talk about Baker a little bit, it's one of the things I I would worry about a little bit is, yeah, the fact that he can't control his emotions there in a press conference, that would make me worry about maybe he can't control his emotions the right way on the football field either. And I think that's where it shouldn't filter over that way. You know, again, we saw Brady who – has also, like, you know, 97 million pelts on his horse to be able to, like, go next question, next question, okay? But for the most part of his career, been very open to the media, whether it's a big win or a tough loss, you know? And then, hey, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, how many times has he had to step up to the press conference after everybody wants to blame him for a loss that's not his loss? It's part of the duty. You know, that's part of what you do as the face of the franchise, you know? And, uh, that that's where you know yes it's Baker Mayfield I'd like to see him change that that aspect of him it's it's tough and I don't know what to say with Baker I really thought early in the year we were on the way to wow Baker's turned a corner and look at this and he's gonna be the face of the franchise and they're gonna pay him you know franchise quarterback money and he's gonna be there for a long time but the way the years played out and the way he's played. You know, I, I don't know how you could do that in Cleveland. How how could you pay him right now, long-term money, and do that? i I, I got to well, see more. I do. It's just too all over the place, and I know he's beat up and I respect him, but uh, I wouldn't be able to pay him you know, $35 million a year. That's for sure. There's no way that's happening right now.
1: Yeah, if he stays in Cleveland, I think it'll be on a second tier, and we're going to see that develop. Gone yes. are the days... Of the next guy up, who was on the Bye. pass side of pass right. fail, where he becomes the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history, and it went from Andrew Luck to Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo to Kirk Cousins to Matthew Stafford to Matt Ryan. It all happened in like a year. Yeah, and out of all those names, only guy Andrew guy Luck a bit
4: deserved more. it. Right? I mean, yeah. you talk about all those names. There's only one guy out of them. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to butt in, but just it's no, no, so no, apparent. No, you're fine. Yeah, so apparent. But
1: but that doesn't work anymore. No, not, just because you're Baker Mayfield and you didn't bust you don't get Josh Allen money you don't get Lamar Jackson money whenever he gets his money you don't get Dak Prescott money you don't get Patrick you definitely don't get Patrick Mahomes money you get 30 to 35 million you get Jared Goff Carson Wentz money and those are the two names that keep coming back because they are the cautionary tale where you sign Baker Mayfield to a contract and then a year or two later you say what the hell did we do why did we do that yeah why? Why so
4: you know I think that's even too expensive, Mike, when I look at like thirty million, like for some of these second tier guys, again, you know, some of these teams gotta start calling their bluffs and be like, Well, who else is we gonna We can draft
1: somebody? Right we can draft somebody. Right.
4: There's a lot of good we we see there's a lot of good quarterbacks to go around right now. You know, what what is like is somebody gonna beat down Baker Mayfield's door if he became a free agent after the year to pay him thirty five million dollars a year? If if they are, then I could tell you I don't know. They're not that smart of a football team. They're taking a tremendous risk. I don't, and that's. I do think, Mike. I think you said it right. I think there's teams that uh, there there is a line in the sand now, officially, with like the quarterback thing. I think the Wentz, you said at golf that has really opened people's eyes to realize, like, wait, why would we do that to our football team when we're basically bidding against ourselves? We're 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 creating a market where we're like, you want thirty? No, we'll give you thirty-two. Wait, you want thirty-three? No, we'll give you thirty-four. Why? Who Who else was going to pay him that? What are you doing? And that's, to me, where I think, yes, there's a lot of front office people and head coaches who have realized that over the last year and a half. For all the things that we could say
1: in a negative fashion about the Washington football team and former team president Bruce Allen, and w- w- there aren't enough hours in the day to detail the various things we could say, the one thing they got right was not giving big money to Kirk Cousins. I, frankly. I I know there's currently the... The general media, they love him vibe with Kirk Cousins because yeah. as long as you give him seven seconds to throw, he's going to find an open receiver. But once the walls cave in, he's done, and they're eventually going to come up against a team where the walls cave in and they're going to be done. But th- th- he got that. that It started his $28 million a year, and he leveraged it into a better deal in Minnesota after one or two seasons. But, you know, he played the game in Washington, and they played the game right back. And maybe they shouldn't have franchise tagged him once or twice and just let him walk. At some point... You, you just got to say, go ahead, go, go. You don't like our offer? Go get something better elsewhere because you're not going to. That's the thing. If Baker Mayfield's contract expires, who's going to pay him?
4: Exactly. $40 million a year. Yeah.
1: Now, now the problem is all it takes is one stupid team, and I can see the Lions doing something like that because he's, you know, we're looking for kneecap biters, and he'll bite your kneecap off. I, I'm telling you, you put me down right now, Baker Mayfield's going to be the quarterback of the Lions at some point <laughs> because the the, menta- the he fits the mentality. He fits the mentality of what the Lions are trying to do currently, but they're not going to pay him 45 million a year. They're not gonna pay him 40 million a year. No. Um, and, and, uh, he, he, he just, he better find a way to manage his nature and, and put his lips onto the collective butts of the Browns fans, because that's the only way he's going to secure his future in Cleveland. Cause right now I, I think that we're too close to it to really appreciate it. I think it's extremely tenuous right now. And, and, uh, I, I, I can't imagine with all those strategic personnel they have with John De Podesta and Andrew Barry and it's all analytics and it's all numbers and it's all and it's all careful and it's all mathematical, they got to be looking at their options and they got to be asking themselves what else they should do. Now the question is this Chris, we see how banged up Baker Mayfield is. And we saw there was one game this year where they went with Case Keenum and it worked. Should they say to Baker, we're sitting you down Sunday night, we're letting you heal. We got a buy coming up. We're giving you some extra time to heal. We got the Ravens sandwich coming up with the buy in between. We're giving you the next couple of weeks to rest up and recover. We're going to go with Case on Sunday night.
4: Yeah, they got a that. That's something you got to be able to figure out during the week of practice. Like that. That. That's to me where that question gets answered. You know, and and can he go out there and do everything that's needed to to be done at the quarterback position throughout the week? Okay, yes, he's doing it. Oh, wow. All the receivers that were open this week, he hit it. There was no pain, you know, in a practice where you're not getting hit. There was no issues that way. Then fine, you continue to play him. But if you're seeing a pattern a little bit like we've seen, you know, in the games itself of a guy that is uncomfortable, a guy that's missing throws, a guy that's not reading the field exactly the way you want it to be done. Then I would say sit him down, but that's that's got to be evaluated, and they got to know that and figure that out during the week and in a hurry. You know that that to me is where that that question gets answered, Mike. So I don't have one for you. Um, it's certainly not good. I mean, it's really not good. Um, but but uh, I think they got to see kind of what he's capable of doing and his comfort level because what we've talked about a lot too is yeah one yeah you're you're beat up and and I got a lot of respect for his toughness so. Wait, yeah, it's going to affect some throws and some of your physical performance on the field. But what it does, and I know we've talked about this before, when you're beat up like that too, it starts to affect your decision making. Oh, wait. If I hand stand stand here in the pocket and wait a half a second, you know, the number 2 read's going to be open. Oh, but the hell with it. I'm just going to get it out of my hand to the number 3 read and get it out of my hand so I don't get hit. Well, okay, yeah, you got a completion to the number three read, but the number two read was open and you were going to get hit, but it was going to be a 25-yard gain. You know, That's where they got to figure that out too. Is it affecting decision-making on the field? That to me is when you say, whoa, pump the brakes, here comes Case Keenum, you get healthy, we'll see you in a few weeks. Question. Yeah. Do
1: we think that what played out yesterday and the day before not – attending the press conference and yesterday, the things he said and the attitude that he projected. I know it's a road game on Sunday night, but is there a point where the Browns say on top of the physical, maybe he needs a mental slash emotional break. You know, we, we hear it all the time now from the players and, and we support it and we should, I need a mental health break. I need some time to gather. Does he need to kind of involuntarily be told you need a break? You need a break. You need to heal. You need to rest. You need to relax, you know, because m- maybe teammates and coaches are sensing a little bit of an attitude and an edge that's counterproductive as well. Maybe they need to to, to get him out of the fray for a little bit so he can get that under control.
4: I I, I don't disagree with you there. Again, I think that's something that you, you got to evaluate and have a feel for is if you're Kevin Stefanski or offensive coordinator, or quarterback coach. Because yeah, I mean, how could he not be a little mentally beat up? You know, yes, people are criticizing him. You know, physically he's got a battle every day. He's probably got to get to the facility an hour earlier than normal because he's got to get rehab. He's probably there a little later cuz of rehab. You know, he's probably not sleeping as well at night cuz his damn shoulder and knee hurt. So it does, it has a ripple effect to everything you do. And that's where hey, head coaches and and other offensive coaches got to have a feel for the person, the player and where he's at and and maybe that's, you know, leads them to the to the point you're making.
1: The good news though is the Browns are still 6 and 5 although they're not living up to their expectations, they are on the right side of 500. Another team that had a high expectations by virtue of the fact that they went 12-4 and four last year is the Seattle Seahawks. They're 3-7. And, seven. and uh, there's a little disagreement brewing between Tyler Lockett and Pete Carroll as to what the problem is. We'll try to get to the bottom of one of the many issues plaguing the Seahawks when PFT Live continues right after this. At
0: Bet365, we don't do ordinary.